0: Tonight, I wrote to my pastor the other day and told him what I'd been into here and there. I, I supplied the Presbyterian church without a pastor for a whole summer while my wife was ill. I couldn't get out of Greensboro. And then i have just come from Moody Bible Institute and Founders Week. Before that, I was with InterVarsity for a night in Mississippi State. It had a Sunday Weekend conference with the Salvation Army and had helped a brand new crowd of Methodists that moved out of one church into a Jewish synagogue to take a new start. So I wrote my pastor, I said, Am I getting too ecumenical? (laughs) 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 I thought maybe I better take. (laughs) But it's a good thing where we do believe in the old book. And that's what is our foundation there are three texts for our consideration tonight the subject tonight is are you out of breath and from uh, genesis 2 7 and the lord god formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life man became a living soul and then there's uh John 20, 22, where we read, And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And uh, then there's the familiar Second uh, Timothy 3.16, one of the 3.16s of the New Testament. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Is God breathed is what it says, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and righteousness. Some time ago, Reader's Digest had an article on deep breathing and said that we only use part of our lungs, most of us, in our breathing. There's plenty of air around us and more lung space than we use within us. We ought to make most of our resources. After all, breathing is pretty important. Everything depends on it. When you quit breathing, you quit. Period. You're never more than a few breaths from death and eternity. And we read here in Genesis that God made man out of the dust and breathed into his nostrils. The breath of life and man became a living soul. Man is a God inspired being. We're not just matters, we're living souls, and what makes the difference is the breath of God. We read in Job, The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty has given me life. The Bible tells us that God breathed again in the Scriptures. I just read it to you. Now, there's ordinary human inspiration in great literature and great music, but this book's more than a book. It's breath the breath of God. It's. Uh, I'm not interested in all these many theories of inspiration. I believe this is God's word, not just in spots or wherever it speaks to you, but in its entirety. Any time and all the time, all scripture is breathed of God. I heard of a businessman who attended a meeting and they asked him to... Uh, uh, read the scripture, and he wasn't used to such functions, and after he'd read it, he said, uh, if there are no corrections or additions, the scriptures will stand as read. Well, I agree with that. John twenty twenty two, our Lord breathed on them. This was a prophetic breathing preceding Pentecost. Every Christian is God-breathed, for when he's born again, God breathes into him eternal life. And he is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He is first convicted by the Holy Spirit. He is regenerated by the Holy Spirit. He is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He is baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. He is supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and that doesn't mean... That his heart is an empty vessel every morning to be filled up for the day. But being filled is a continuous experience. But it begins, of course, with initial experience. So here we have the breathing of the Holy Spirit for power, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The church is God breathed, it's a heavenly fellowship, endued with life from above. But not all churches are empowered. For power in service and testimony. You have read Ezekiel's vision of the valley of dry bones in the 37th chapter of Ezekiel. He looked out over that uh, gruesome spectacle and he was asked, Can these bones live? Can these dry bones live? I felt like asking that sometimes when I stood up in the pulpit before some congregation. But all the way through this chapter, verse 5, 6, 8, 9, and 10, you have three things, bones, body, and breath. First of all, he saw just bones. And then the flesh came upon them, and they stood there. But they didn't have an earth yet. And so the breath of God had to play upon them. And uh, the word for wind and the word for spirit are the same thing in the Hebrew and in the Greek. And it's a very interesting thing that it required three things to make a complete uh, organism in this case. A church may have the bones of organization and sound theology. It may have the body of a large membership. But if the breath of the Holy Spirit not on it in it, then it's only Sardis having a name to be alive but dead. And don't forget that Sardis was a... A very active church. It had a name to be alive. It wasn't about to die. And the preacher about to resign. The roof about to fall in. They were doing a lot of things around that. They had a name to be alive. But Jesus said, I got another name for you. You know, uh, uh, an undertaker can make a dead man look better than he ever looked while he was living. And some of these church experts can get hold of a church and get it looking pretty good. But the Lord knows the difference. Now, this holds for Christians. A Christian may have the bones of sound doctrine, and he may have meat on the bones. There may be meat in what he believes. But unless the Spirit of God indwells and infills him, he's still not carrying on an effective ministry. And a sermon may have, all three, and must have. A sermon may have the bones of a good outline, it may have the body of good content, but unless the breath of God blows on that sermon, it's only sounding brass and clanging cymbals. I've listened to some sermons that they had the bones all right, it was just a skeleton. And then I've heard others that had some meat on them, but you still felt that the Spirit wasn't blowing across it. The greatest need today in the Church with the individual Christians is breath. Dr. Phillips said the church today is so prosperous that it's fat and out of breath and so organized that it's muscle-bound. I think that's a good description of the average church today. And I meet a lot of, I get in a lot of churches where they're puffing and blowing and exhaling all the time without inhaling. Now, you'll soon play out doing that. They're giving out without taking in. Dr. Wilbur Chapman, a great Presbyterian, I heard him long ago when I was a boy, when he and Charles M. Alexander had great meetings. And Dr. Chapman, back in the days of G. L. Moody, quite an effective pastor and evangelist, but he was exercised about the condition of his own heart, and he went to F. B. Meyer, that great sign of the Lord, and said, Why? Is my Christian experience so intermittent and uh, fluctuating up and down, up and down? Meyer said, did you ever try to breathe out three times before you breathed in once? And he got to thinking about that. Now, we have artificial respiration today. When somebody drowns, we use it. And the church is using a lot of artificial respiration today, too, by various devices. And sometimes they revive the organism temporarily and resuscitate the corpse momentarily, but it's not real revival, for it's just breathing human breath into the carcass. And we have a lot of these uh, church respiration experts around, and they make a living, blow an ordinary human inspiration into churches that are out of the breath from heaven. You ever watch the song leader trying to get a crowd to sing that didn't have a song down in their heart? That's the hardest work on the face of the earth. trying to pull out a song that's not that. You know what's down in the well will come up in the bucket. And when you're trying to bring up what's not down there, you've got a job on your hands. It's frustrating business. It's an exercise in futility. And we're spending an awful lot of time in churches over the land today trying to pull out of heart what's never been put in them. Getting them to exhale in service when they've not inhaled in the blessing of God. There are two verbs in what Jesus, what I just read about Jesus over in John. Then breathe, said receive, ye the Holy Spirit. The Lord must breathe into us uh, what he breathes upon us and we must receive it. There is the giving, and there is the receiving. Open-endedness is a term we use sometimes, and uh, the Christian must be open on the Godward side all the time. And then in service, he must be open on the manward side, open toward God for strength and open toward man for service. If a lake doesn't have any inlet, it's soon uh, exhausted. And if it doesn't have an outlet, it's soon stagnant. And so it is with Christian experience. The church at Jerusalem had to go through persecution to scatter them out all directions. Preaching the word, they were in, in process of stagnation. Jesus said, tarry ye. And then he said, go ye both. We need that double experience. Every Christian's heart ought to have a mirror in it. In which you look at yourself. It's not very encouraging, but we need to look once in a while. Isaiah had one when he first saw the Lord, and he said, Woe is me. Then we need a window in our hearts. Having seen ourselves and faced God, as Isaiah did, to look out on the need of this world. You see, we're we're the salt of the earth. And salt's no good in the salt shaker. It's got to be shaken out before it's uh, effective. A Christian's not a depository of the truth; he's a dispenser of it. He's supposed to give it out. Now, if I may change horses in the middle of the stream and to another figure from air to water, Jesus said that if we drink of the living water from within us, shall flow rivers of living water. Now you have the giving and the receiving again. Open this toward God, let him drink, and open toward men from within him shall flow rivers of living water. Are you having that experience, taking in from God and giving out in blessing? You don't have to be a preacher. Sometimes there are precious laymen, sometimes there are old grandmothers who can tell you something about that. You ever go along and see an electric sign that several of the letters are out? Makes terrible reading sometimes. And the others are just like that. They're not. Uh, plugged into the secret of divine, of power like they ought to be. And I meet a lot of Christians that are like that. Some of them are out. And some of them are shaky. They've never been plugged into the power and they're not, or else they're not living in close fellowship. The book of the Acts of the Apostles is simply a record of the outflow and the overflow of the inflow from in the Spirit of God. That's all there is. In it. That's what it counts for. All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One come down. I I I've been traveling over this country for a long, long time trying to preach that what the church needs today is not evangelistic effort so much as first of all to have a real revival that will make them evangelistic. Now when when you've really had a revival, you'll be evangelistic, you'll be missionary. But I'm afraid we've got the cart before the horse today. We hear an awful lot about evangelism. I, I've been in every one, and I think, of our Southern Baptist churches where they have a convention, except maybe one, in their evangelistic conferences. And I say again, again and again, uh, if we didn't spend so much time on trying to do something with people who are not ready to do it, because they've not been revived, they're not living in fellowship with God, why, we're wasting time and money. We're going at it from the wrong end. Uh, pastors, teachers, evangelists, I have said again and again that the last word of Jesus to the church was not the Great Commission. It was repent to five out of seven churches in proconsular Asia. And uh, Edmund Orr, who has written so many fine books and has had a long term of service for God, has a book that I praise It's titled The church must first repent. You don't hear that much. And I tell preachers, I tell pastors, and I'm in a lot of pastors meetings, they say, go home and preach a series of sermons on the seven churches. You'll find your church somewhere in that group. If you look into the Word, they'll see themselves. You may have to put two or three of them together and have a composite picture to get some churches. But preach them. They're all in those seven churches. I guarantee it. And preach that and keep on preaching it. Now, there may be a deacon who's not living right, and he'll object. A preacher uh, uh, plowing too close to the corn, and he'll get dissatisfied. I heard of a preacher who said, the deacon told him said, you're preaching too much hell on judgment. And you ought to preach on love. All right, he said, I will. Next Sunday preached on thou shalt love the Lord thy God, and that night thou shalt love thy neighbours thyself. Next Sunday, husbands, love your wives, and he said, don't love some other man's wife either. And he said after serving the old deacon came up and said, "Preach! I just about as you go back to preaching on hell. So got a little close got a little close. We're we're seeing a lot of good things today, don't misunderstand me. We're seeing great crusades, we're seeing TV evangelism. We've gotten it out where it never could get before. We're seeing local revivals and local churches, but they are the exceptions that prove the rule. We are not having a real revival. We're not having it. Now, there are experts. We never had so many experts working in the church, but the church is not repentant. Some have left their first love, like Ephesus, And others have gotten tied up with Balaam and Jezebel. And others are dead like Sardis and some lukewarm like Laodicea. And they will not repent. The average church is like a lung uh, with only a few cells breathing. A lung full of pneumonia and only a few active cells. And it's a serious condition. And then uh, there is extremism. There always has been extremism on any subject. Sometimes things are carried to extremes. There's a psychedelic uh, emotionalism today all over the country. Not, not, I'm not thinking now of the church, but in LSD and trips into a world of fancy and hallucination. And some of this thing gets over into the church and people want to have weird trances all the time. And the church gets split about these things. And sometimes experience is exalted above the scripture. Any movement that makes the Holy Spirit the figurehead, as F. B. Meyer said a long time ago, is eccentric. It is off-center, for the business of the Holy Spirit is to magnify Jesus Christ. He shall testify of me. And in the passage that woke me up and led me out on the matter of being filled with the Holy Spirit, John 7, 39, if you read through that, the Holy Spirit's not the main one in that picture. This spake he of the Spirit which they that believe on him should receive, for the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. I don't believe God's going to fill anybody with the Holy Spirit until the purpose of their heart is to glorify Jesus and to glorify God. That's the business of the Holy Spirit. And there are many hungry hearted preachers and Christians in general seeking a deeper experience of God, like drowning men grabbing at straws, and it's a clever trick of the devil. To scare us away from uh, extremism so that we miss the real thing. Now, the devil's never any smarter than when he gets people so scared of the uh, filling of the Holy Spirit or whatever you want to call it. that you're scared of the Holy Spirit altogether. After all, there is such a thing as being filled with the Holy Spirit. And many times it is an experience subsequent to regeneration. Some of the greatest men that God has ever used down through the ages after they were saved, came through a subsequent experience when they entered into the fullness of what God had for them, we must be careful, uh, not the, the be so scared of getting out on a limb that we never get up the tree. There's a real fire. There's serious danger there. So, for fear of the foes, don't miss the truth. And so we go along. We're supposed to have the spirit breathing into us but the average Christian today has got emphysema. Going along gasping all the time from breath. Have you got emphysema tonight, spiritual emphysema? A lot of folks have. And uh, you can't take care of this by just an occasional revival. Now, I believe in revival. But I think we ought to talk about Bible instead of revival. Now, there is no such word as Bible, but when I need a word, I make one. Uh, every word in the dictionary, somebody made it, I've got as good a right as anybody else make a new word if I want And I call it Bible, and I mean to that just normal New Testament Christianity. I, I think revival can be misleading, but, but I think a lot of people have the idea. It's perfectly natural for the saints over the backslide every year. I have to call in a preacher every six months to wake him up again. Well, that's not the teaching of the New Testament. So you're supposed to be filled with the Spirit all the time and in the, any season of the year. My, my, old Corinth church where I grew up, we used to have our so-called revival last week in July. Couldn't have it any other time. That was the set time for the revival. Uh, anybody want to get saved any other time, I had a put a rough time up. They had to wait last week <laughs> And we'd have a great time that week. I'm not, I'm, I'm not discounting you had a glorious time. The Methodists had their meeting next week, and most of us went over there. My grandmother shouted her way through both meetings. She got just tuned up good in the Baptist meeting and went over to the next the week. And that's fine. But you can't live on an occasional spasmodic with Dr. Jowett England's great preacher, said, It is not by spasmodic revival, however grace-blessed it may be, that we shall excite the wonder of the multitude, but by the abiding miracle of a God-filled and glorious church. uh, Only that, filled all the time. And uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, that great Bible teacher, who was a great doctor before he became a preacher and followed Campbell Morgan that I'm never tired of saying that what the church needs to do is not to organize evangelistic campaigns to attract outside people. Now, I don't don't necessarily agree with him on that, but to begin herself to live the Christian life. If she did, men and women would be crowding our buildings and saying, what's the secret of all this? And Dr. Griffith Thomas says it's interesting to note that evangelism is mentioned only once, in Paul's instructions in Second Timothy 4-5 about being one, but he said the strange thing is that there's not much said in the New Testament about missions and evangelism uh, as such. The purpose of the New Testament epistles was to develop holy, healthy Christians. And when you're a healthy Christian, you will be evangelistic and you will be missionary and you will be a tither and you will be everything else you ought to be. But let's get the thing in its right perspective. And the other day, Christianity Today said, what happened in Britain can happen in America, but we cannot bring it about by putting evangelism first. Revival must come, and this has to do with the people of God, not with unbelievers. There can be no revival unless there's repentance, and there can be no repentance till the people of God get down on their knees. I think that's well said, and I congratulate for Christianity Today saying that. You see, we must get out into the world. Anybody knows that. Jesus said, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I sent them into the world. But we're trying to send a lot of people not ready to go out there. They're not ready to go into until they've been straightened out in their own living before God. And it comes back to our deep breathing exercises. We're trying to get people to breathe out what's not breathed in. A.W. Tozer said, I got so many books on how to be through with the Spirit, and I, I know what he's talking about. I used to read so many of them on all these various subjects. You know, some had four steps, five steps, six steps, seven steps, in order to be through with the Spirit, and had me stepping all the time. And Tozer said, if I'd uh, followed all that, I'd I had a chest like a barrel. But he said, uh, no, he said, I got so mixed up with all of it. But we had a lot of sense in that. And just as physically we draw such short breaths with only a portion of our lungs, so as Christians we draw just little gasps of divine power, especially in an emergency, instead of the deep, daily inhalation of the power of God, as we're supposed to. Now, there are a couple of verses that ought to be hung up in all our churches today. Not many wise, mighty, and noble are called that no flesh should glory in his presence. That's why God doesn't get uh, many of that crowd. You cannot please God in the flesh. The flesh doesn't mean your body. It means that old Adamic nature that you were born with. Now, you still got it, but uh, you can't please God with it. In the other verse, that ought to be hung up all over our churches. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. You cannot teach a Sunday school class to the glory of God. Sometimes they appoint a lawyer to teach a class just because he's a good talker. But the Bible nowhere said that was the qualification. Unless he's filled with the Spirit, he's not qualified. Just because a man's a banker doesn't qualify him to be church treasurer just because he handles money always. That's all right as a side issue, but he must be spiritual. And just because a woman's had a degree from a music conservatory doesn't qualify her to be solo. She may sing to high lily ponds, putting the sun sung bass to it. But if she doesn't sing to the glory of God, if she's not spirit, she can't do it. We've got to learn this, beloved. And uh, we first, as somebody has said, in order to breathe like right, you ought to exhale the foul air from your lungs, and then breathe in the fresh air. Get rid of the sin in your life. F.B. Meyer was not the kind to be very excitable. He was a humble, quiet, but mighty servant of God. And in 1887, in English, he was so burdened about his need of more of something or someone in his life. And he sold and sold. But one day, he said, I was too tired to think and to feel and even to pray intensely. I climbed a hill over there in England, and I said, Lord, I'm too tired to pray. Uh, But just as I took you for forgiveness years ago, I take the Holy Spirit and his fullness for my life for my ministry. He didn't feel any particular thrill. Went down into the valley and asked, well, what happened? And he said, I didn't go up there for any particular emotional experience, but i settled with God. And I believe it was old Lynn Broughton, who used to be the pastor of Baptist Tabernacle, who got in a meeting of another denomination because he was exercised about this. And he went down to the front preacher that he was. And the folks said, Well, you feel He said, Didn't go up there for feeling. Went up there for feeling. Now, the feeling is the secondary matter altogether. Uh, you get uh, whatever you need. Uh, God is able to make all grace to abound so that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound. every good word. I've got that on my table at home where I turn on the light first thing in the morning. Got that verse. God's able. To make all things abound. He doesn't want you to live stingily, cheap, as a Christian, that you may abound to every good work. Well now if that's true, what are you worrying about? He's able to make all grace to abound, so that you, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. That takes in all the territory, as far as I can see. And if what you need, and it is is the presence of the Holy Spirit in your heart and life, not just to be a preacher alone, but for whatever you're doing. When I was in Charleston back in 34 to 39 as Pastor of First Baptist Church. I was greatly exercised about this matter. And I would sit in my room there and ponder it and late at night. And uh, I went to see old Granny Russell, who was a saint of the Lord, she gave me this book, Deeper Experiences of Famous Christians, being reissued today, and I'm glad it is. I couldn't go I went down to my room that night and couldn't go to sleep until I had read it, and then I couldn't go to sleep because I had read it. And I got under conviction about that thing. But I couldn't I was trying to work myself up an experience to suit me. And I had to come to the Lord on the basis of, my, of John 7, 39. If any man thirsts. Now there's a difference between thirsting and just wanting to drink water. Have you ever thirsted for the fullness of God? When you thirst, nothing's going to satisfy you but water. And that's all you can think about. And when you get to a point of holy desperation, and well that's all that you're concerned about, God will meet you. Because so the greatest blessings go to desperate people. When you come on the basis of thirsting, coming, drinking, believing, and overflowing. There they are. Come to Jesus. Drink, that's received. And then believe that you have received. John 11, verse 4. Mark 11, 36. And then from within you to flow rivers of living water. That's as simple as Jesus made it, and that's simple enough. Come and drink for receive. If you lack wisdom, James says, ask of God who giveth liberally. God's never stingy. And it shall be given. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Ron Dunn, who's such a coming young preacher in his Bible teaching, had great sorrow in their home family and, and, and they had asked God for wisdom. And the devil comes around after you've had some of these great upsets and said, Ah, if you'd have done this and if you'd have done that, if you have done something that, you can go crazy over that. He said, I had to get established on this. We'd ask God for wisdom. And I believe that when you ask God for wisdom, and you're willing to do any way. Now, you've got to settle that first. You don't have any druthers about it at all. Willing to do any way. You have a right to get on your knees and ask God for wisdom. Tell me what to do. Then You have a right to get up and believe that the decision you make is of the Lord. Otherwise, what would you ever do? You never would know are no further instructions. And that would help us a great deal if we could only do it this very verse you've been quoting every time here in the meeting. John 14, 13. That God may be glorified. That's what you're to pray for and if that's the purpose of the prayer, he will be and you will be blessed. Sometimes God sends trouble. This sickness is not unto death. I read when my dear wife was so ill in daily light and I told my pastor I said I believe God's gonna heal her but he didn't and then I got to thinking when well, he said that about Lazarus and Lazarus died too. But what Jesus was saying was death's not the main thing here. I've got a purpose beyond death. He didn't mean in the world to come, but now And I found that out because as I've told you out of it I wrote that little book that God's blessed more than the other thirty that have ever written. God was glorified. It's a high price. It's glorified. So just, just take him at his word about this. Some of your Sunday school teachers. Have you ever asked God for, in faith, just like you did for salvation, there isn't anything weird about this business, but it's practical and simple, but you've got the mean business. Did you ever ask God in simple faith, like you did for salvation? Wasn't that the way you got saved? You realised you were sinner? You asked God to save you and you believed you did. If you didn't, you're in a terrible condition because you don't have assurance. Are you a housewife and the cares of home sometimes get you down? You get you feel like you're not a very good Christian. God bless these women today, the ones that are left that are still willing to be housewives. And of so course some of these there wouldn't have to work, I know that too. And it takes a world of the grace of God to work today in this world as it is, if you're a Christian. But sometimes you feel like, well, I'm not equal to it, preacher. I just can't make it. And you sure can. But do you believe what it says here? You get alone, and say, Lord, I need to be filled with the Spirit. I'm not equal to this. You businessmen, your work, whatever it is, you think this is something for preachers? Oh, no, it's For all of us. Do we have anybody here tonight that's thirsting, not for some queer experience, but thirsting simply for all that God has for you in his Holy Spirit? If you have a thirst, uh, no preacher's going to have to beg you to do something about it. Because that's holy desperation. I'm a great believer in holy desperation if you'll come to Jesus in simple faith, if I, if I didn't believe that, I'd quit preaching. I took Jesus up on that a long time ago, 40 years now. A man called me up there and said, I was converted in the meeting you had back in 37, right here in Greenville in the Baptist Church. But people didn't know what I was going through. I'd get down on the beach there and walk back and forth praying and go down to that old church. It's getting ready to celebrate its three hundredth anniversary now and sit there in that quaint old thing all by myself. Set up late at night. But you don't get these things just for sitting up late at night. If you sit up late at night because you're concerned, that that's all right. But if you mean business, God always means business. You ought to be able to get together in a short time. And so I don't know who's here tonight, there may be a minister, God bless him, my heart goes out to preachers, that maybe the revival needs to start in the preacher, sometimes a preacher thinks he needs a new pastor when he needs to be renewed in the same pastor, or you're on the church staff, or you, whatever you are, you need the Holy Spirit in his blessing, Oh, you've got so much, and many I know in this church are filled with the Spirit. God bless this church. This is the only church in this country that stayed eight days in. Two Sundays. You know they're cutting them down now, Sunday through Wednesday, these little mini revivals they're having now. Even the Baptists, there's a great big hurry there. They left out, take time to be holy one time in the hymn book. We haven't got time to be holy. We've got to put a program over. I said, I hold everything. But you take a small group of people that have faced this and something will happen. Do you need it in your home? Do you need it in your business? Do you need it in school? Nobody needs it any more than these kids are going to school today. My soul! And I tell you, in some seminaries, they need a double dose of it there. I don't know who you are, but, and I'm not going to beg you, but you've listened so well. If you have a thirst in your heart for what you don't have and only God has for you, you know it. And I wonder if I could ask you to do one thing. Jesus is here tonight, said he'd do He's not here. We might as well have stayed at home. What are we doing here? Do you believe that if you'd come to him like a little child, tell him, Lord, I've not got what it takes. And for whatever my problem is, teaching school or going to school or in the home or in the shop or in the office, the factory, wherever, engineer, doctor, lawyer, anything, I've not got what it takes that you do. I say. And here I come. And help me by faith to receive what thou art ever ready to give. And then go out of here believing the have whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, you should have them. Mark eleven twenty four. Go home and get out your New Testament. Make a big red ring around Mark eleven twenty four. And then don't, don't start watching to see if you're a blessing or not. That'll kill it every time. You just go ahead and be a blessing. And somebody will come up to you and say you've been a blessing. That'll take care of itself. Do we have some folks here tonight? No, yes, we do. The thirst. Would you be willing to slip down here like your granddad and grandmother used to do? Like I've said here already before, we got you stiff necked and stiff kneed and dry eyed. Find yourself a kneeling place here, yeah. because if you're desperate and if you're thirsty, you will come. I want the choir to sing. We've got two songs in this book about Breathe on Me. 174, I want you to be just the choir, very prayerfully. Yet. If you need to come instead kneel, I quit singing and come kneel. Holy Spirit, breathe on me until my heart is clean. Let sunshine fill its inmost part with not a cloud between clean. Breathe on me, breathe on me, Holy Spirit, breathe on me. Take thou my heart, cleanse every power. Holy Spirit, breathe on me.